0: The following program contains coarse language and nudity.
1: Discretion is advised. Hey there, folks. This is Kristen Williams with another Trans Advocate podcast. Uh, Today we have Megan Smith from Spectrum South, and we have Alexis. All right, and we're going to do the news uh, affecting the trans community. But before we do that, we're going to have our Q and A.
2: The Trans Advocate Q&A is a segment where we answer your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, go to our contact page at transadvocate.com and send it in. Today's question is, quote, I'm researching gender dysphoria and what I've found just doesn't sound right. Help? Answering today's question is Kristen Williams, and she writes, I've noticed that what gender dysphoria means can change depending on who I'm talking to, and there are several reasons for this. To understand why this is, we need to review some history. The term is attributed to a Dr. Norman Fiske, who used it in a 1974 journal article. For Fiske, the gender in gender dysphoria referred to roles and stereotypes, and for him, gender dysphoria was synonymous with being a transsexual. A psychological book from 1978 claimed that gender role confusion and gender dysphoria meant the same thing. In 1979, the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association published its Standards of Care Version 1, and in it, they defined the term in the following way. Gender dysphoria herein refers to that psychological state whereby a person demonstrates dissatisfaction with their sex of birth and the sex role, as socially defined, which applies to that sex, and who requests hormonal and surgical sex reassignment. You might have picked up by now that, from the beginning, it was a foregone conclusion that being trans was about being dissatisfied with gender roles. This is an important point because we need to recognize that those who gave us words to contextualize our trans experience had some a priori ideas about what our experience is all about. For those disco-era doctors, being trans was about changing the body to conform to gender roles and stereotypes. For many decades, trans activists have pushed back on the notion that being trans is about changing one's body to fit cultural gender stereotypes and roles. A trans newsletter from 1983 makes the point that, quote, the transsexual is dissatisfied not with his-her role exclusively, but with his-her physical sex. The sex role is a mere adjunct to the physical dysphoria. This is sex dysphoria, not gender dysphoria. The Trans Advocate Glossary defines gender dysphoria in the following way quote, Gender dysphoria is the experience of extreme and long lasting, often stretching back to one's earliest memories, mismatch between one's gender orientation and phenotype. The glossary defines gender orientation as quote, one's experience of one's body, including its sexed attributes. In other words, everyone who possesses consciousness will have a private experience of having a body. Part of that private experience will include that body's primary and secondary sexed attributes. One's primary experience of that material reality is gender orientation. Therefore, when I'm discussing gender dysphoria, I'm not referencing roles or stereotypes. I'm talking about the way I primarily experience my body's phenotype. Over the course of decades, two narratives have emerged concerning what gender dysphoria means. One narrative originates with cisgender doctors, and the other narrative originates within the trans community itself. While the official narrative for what the term means still comes from cisgender doctors, the trans community has worked hard to reorient this focus so that, nowadays, the official diagnosis for being trans is gender dysphoria, and one can't get this diagnosis without expressing significant and long-lasting dysphoria with their phenotype. So if the concept of gender dysphoria is confusing, there's a reason for it.
1: All right, we're back. And when will it end news? Trump says he never uh, had uh, said that Russia didn't uh, meddle with the elections. But of course, we have proof that he did Um,
3: that's just fake news you know it yeah yeah (laughs) he never said you um, know i mean facts are very fluid
1: yeah well he's also saying that he never sexually assaulted a woman named uh rachel cook crooks in uh, 2006 because he never met her but there's pictures of them
3: together you know i think it would be easier and it's interesting because i just realized that's what he's doing to name the people he has not had sexual relations with that were non-consensual. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, he could probably do that in an hour, hour and
1: yeah, a half. Yeah, it's a
4: shorter list. Exactly.
3: And <laughs> get it all done quicker. Well, he
1: claims that the recent indictments of Russian operatives proves that there was no collusion between his campaign and Russia. He
3: claims uh, that, that all the time, that, though. I mean, that come doesn't,
1: on. It doesn't say that. Um, in other news... I want you to know I just voted. Did you know you can go and vote? Yeah, I voted yesterday. You voted yesterday. Yeah, I'm one I of those numbers today.
3: that you brought us to look at that shows a lot of people voted yesterday. Yeah,
1: a whole lot of voters. How many voters? It was like two or three. No, it's 17,000 <laughs> early voters. I think wow. that includes the mail-in votes. Oh, okay, mail-in votes. So early in-person, in-person votes was over 7,000. Uh, mail ballots were 10,000. Jeez, yeah, We've had elections First, with
3: less than that.
1: Wow. Yes, we have. So early voting in the Texas primaries is now open. It began yesterday, February 20th, and will continue until March 2nd with the election happening March 6th. Runoffs will be on May 22nd, and you have to be registered by April 23rd. And you can go to the Trans Advocate um, to get help with registration. If your state allows um, online registration, you can do it right there at the Trans Advocate. so, how was it for voting? How did that go for you?
3: It was busy yesterday, and I actually had to cover my ballot twice. It's a long ballot. It is a long. It, long. Is, it is a long. You ballot. can take yeah. notes. You can take like the caucus card. You can take things like that. You <clears> cannot take your phone or any electronic device, which mm-hmm. is sort of interesting because most people have their notes on their phones.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I have the caucus card right here.
3: <laughs> You're in the noise today. I can tell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I have mine too, and a plan to vote on Monday. I actually
3: so. don't have one. I, I have a stack in the car, but there to hand out. I didn't. Yeah, not. but you like
1: interviewed everyone. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think well, you have a little more knowledge. Yeah, I went through really fast, and then I, I realized that I needed to go back and look at everyone again because I wasn't sure I'd caught everyone, and uh, i missed one person who probably would not have been happy with me, but I would have not I would not have <laughs> admitted I missed voting for you. <laughs> you know, so so you know, it was it was pretty good. The lines there were virtually none, but there were constantly people in voting. So it, it was pretty much a good balance yesterday.
1: Well, it was flooding whenever I went to the polls. So how were uh, the lines? There were no lines at all. Like <laughs> it, literally I, I did have to swim there but uh, everyone was super happy to see me you know they gave me the caucus card i got to see we actually had someone candidates. handing out cards
3: still uh, yes
1: i got to see candidates there walked in everyone's like hey we're here to vote and great energy of course i went to the west gray multi service center
3: yeah and which that, is a great place to go it is and and the thing to remember too is that you can vote anywhere in Harris County in the early voting the day of the election, you have to go find your precinct. That may be more difficult than you think.
4: Much more complicated. And I, they, I will
3: say that they've moved around quite a bit.
1: It looks like the West Gray Metropolitan Multi Service Center had, gosh, it seems like two or three times as many uh, early voters on the first day of voting than any place else.
3: And that that's normal, and it will probably continue. the The nice thing about it is that problems don't occur there if they do they don't last more than a minute or two because there's so many people around and so many candidates and so many activist organizations that if somebody starts to do something they aren't supposed to whether it be election people or other people around there it just doesn't last more than a minute
1: there's or two a lot and of people so, to call it out <laughs> yeah so if you're trans intersex queer of any kind um and this is like your first time voting Um, Maybe you've just recently come out. Maybe your appearance has changed a little bit. Maybe your uh, driver's license doesn't exactly look. You don't appear uh, like you did whenever you took your picture. What should you expect?
3: Uh, For people to ask for your ID and ask for your voter registration card or information and uh, say you want to vote Republican or Democrat (laughs) (laughs) and then tell you to sign here. Okay. And yeah. and certainly
1: uh, my experience has always been good at West Gray.
3: Yeah. And if that doesn't happen, then feel free to protest it with the election judge or go outside, look for anyone that's like with the caucus or any candidate you would vote for. I, I happen to like to complain to candidates that I would vote for. It's like, look, I'm trying to vote for you. They just won't let me vote. Oh, that gets fixed so fast you wouldn't believe. And, and, you know, yesterday I, we had candidate, you know, gubernatorial candidates. We had people who were there that are running for um, U.S. Congress. We had people there. We had judges sort of everywhere. Uh, in fact, a lot of times judges were showing up for an hour or two there between cases they had. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the nice thing about it is let's say, for instance, that you happen to catch one of the judges. Well, they're sitting judges. Uh, they'll start doing things like issuing court orders. So,
1: like <laughs> – Honestly, if there's a candidate out there, you said judges who are sitting judges, is it appropriate to go up to them and talk to them about, you know, your issues? Is that okay? Do you think? You know,
3: you don't want to talk to them about an issue that's in their court or anything like that. Well, that's not what I meant. Let's say you're having a problem voting and you're trying Mm -hmm. to vote for them. They're going to be really interested in this.
1: I mean, so if your issue is trans issues or safety in schools or whatever, is it appropriate to go up and ask a candidate, what's your position on that? Is it okay to... I hope so, because that's yeah. what you
3: need to know. Okay. And that's why they're there is to say, hi, I'm so-and-so. If I'm running for this, I'd like you to vote for me, at which point you're like, so what is your position on? So, Megan, have you voted?
4: No, I have not voted oh. yet, but I have a plan to vote oh. Monday morning. Oh, you so have a plan? I have. Oh. A, I made oh. a plan. So, what so are you doing
3: after the podcast? That we? we oh, it's too late. Never mind. It's it, too it's late. It's closed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh.
4: I do though. I have my caucus card. I have my so, so, my so you ballot have a, filled out Monday morning. Yes. So
3: where are you going to vote? Because we're going to check, you know. Uh, West
4: Gray. Uh-huh. I will be going to West Gray. Uh, okay, yes. I, I'll make sure so, they check, see if you show up. I'm also in grad school. My, my schedule is very complicated. So? <laughs> no, I just got to Look finish. at it this
3: way. You vote for the wrong people, don't vote. That could all be fixed, your schedule. It's true. <laughs> you know, true. know, so, so many things could go away, suddenly <laughs> you wouldn't even care.
4: I wanted to catch it during early voting, though, so I could go to West Gray and exactly. not have to go to, you know, a very specific polling place. Hmm.
3: Well, it's funny because a lot of times people don't know where their real polling place is because they've always voted away.
1: (laughs) But can I tell you how amazing it feels to go in, you know, go to the screen, you're going through and you're like, oh, I know that person. I've known that person for 10 years exactly, you know. I and and then you go through some more and you're like, Oh, oh, I haven't, oh my god, I didn't know that that person was running. You know, it's so cool, it's so cool to see people from the community actually running. You know, there's yeah, there's a lot of people
3: running who are running because they just don't like what's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, are we done with elections? I'm getting tired of them already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how, how long have we been doing election stuff? It seems like. January 1st, elections. Like, everything was election, 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 January 1st.
3: How did you get January 1st? Mine started Thanksgiving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you were doing caucus screening and all of that stuff. Yeah, We were
3: trying to figure out who was actually running. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, we had people whose checks bounced, so they weren't running anymore. Then they redid their check in time, and so they were running. But then the second check bounced. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Well, so in trans news...
1: Get this. The Kansas Republican Party has decided to pretend that trans people simultaneously do not exist, and where they do exist, should not exist.
3: How is that different than (laughs) Hoatsy? I think it's basically the same thing. I mean, the only difference was he got his sword out and wanted to behead him. That makes him not exist. Yeah, and, Um. and by the way,
1: if you're listening to this and you have a video... Of that speech, where Hotse is swinging his sword around his head, supposedly drunkenly raving about how he wants to drive all the homo fascists out of his city. If you have a video of that, please send it to me. <laughs> I want that. I have stills from the video, I have pictures. I don't have the video. so we know I it, need the video.
3: We know it exists because I've seen a piece of it. We have still, we can't find the video though.
1: Uh-huh. So I want to read to you some of what this resolution, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I, I do want to read like where they go through the, they're going through the whereas, whereas, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, therefore we affirm God's design for gender as determined by biological sex, not by self-proclamation, we oppose efforts to surgically or hormonally alter one's body identity to conform to one's perceived gender identity. We, we oppose all efforts to validate transgender identity. That we recognize the fundamental right of parents to guide their children's education. That public schools should not undermine the values of parents who do not agree with transgenderism. And that students have a reasonable expectation of privacy and safety. That is what they resolved.
3: Okay, this is like a platform piece. Have a look. Or is it a law? (laughs) This is their... uh, That's a platform. Yeah, platform. So so basically, A, they want to kick all the plastic surgeons out of...
1: No, 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 no. This this has to do with trans people only.
3: Not, no, 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 no. It says altering your gender identity presentation, et cetera. Well, that means I, I'm sorry. Enhancing uh, breast. I, I guess I that's guess
1: you're right. Your breast enhancements, breast reductions, all of those things. Uh, body out. contouring, <laughs> electrolysis, hair removal, hair addition, the makeup, uh, hair care uh, businesses. That that's all out the window oh and and then there's all the exercise and diet uh stuff that's going on you know to really kind of make your body conform to what supposedly naturally biologically <laughs> not all
3: the 2am pill ads
1: right right oh yes yes person. yes, yes. <laughs> to to help you know uh-huh. certain biological processes mm-hmm. along mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: yeah I, mean, I actually sort of like those better than some of the ones that Aren't ridiculous. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that one is as ridiculous as Trump saying I didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you can fill in whatever beyond that; doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. And, and yeah. if it has a "believe me" on the end. Oh, oh you, you know. Someone for a fact. needs to like develop bad. a yeah. Trump Mad Libs. You know. <laughs> yeah. But there's so many of them. I actually wonder what would happen if if all the news media just said, you know what. Next week, we are not going to do anything related to Trump. Oh, oh. my God. What? That I mean, no would tweets, just no, be amazing. You know, no you know, Trump said this. No White House said this. Because it, it, it's all ridiculous. I mean, there's no news in any of it other than the fact that he did it again. That's not news when you add the again. Yep. So I'm sure Spectrum South carries Trump stuff daily, right?
4: Oh, yeah, daily. We love covering <laughs> Trump. No, I actually saw um, – I think it was about a week ago, it was CNN and MSNBC just cut away from a White House briefing when it was live. <laughs> and then that made the news that they had done that. Uh, so. Yes.
1: Do you remember back in, um, oh, I don't know, a few years ago whenever Barack Obama wore a tan suit? That was the news.
3: <laughs> that was like major news. You, you, you know, I mean, I, I remember that well, and I was sitting there listening, I'm like, Okay, I I must have missed the start of this or something.
1: Now, today, like, minor news is, oh, you know, the president, in addition to the uh, adultery with the porn star, there's also the adultery with the Playboy
3: model. But you can't talk about it because she was paid off.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently the uh, Trump lawyer like broke the non-disclosure agreement. And so supposedly now they can talk. Well, that just, that just means <laughs> she can get another and, payoff and for again, another non-disclosure. Right. Again, this is like the B-roll. This is like the not important <laughs> stuff. We went through suits, the color of suits. That's the big news to the small news is the The president having sex with porn stars,
3: and the funny part is, I actually care about the same amount for each of those. Yeah, I pretty could much. care less.
1: <laughs> exactly. Now,
3: except it, that this it, guy is the leader of the morality party. No, 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 no. It, it's like a lot of other things. You can put whatever name on it you want, but when you start to look at what they do, as we all know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, well, the self proclaimed morality party, the party of God. He is supposed to be God's uh, chosen
3: Okay, but see, I'm, I'm having trouble with that too. Let me tell you why. <laughs> because cause, cause you said morality problem, you know, party. If you uh-huh. say morality party, that means I get to pick it. I mean, I, I've done nothing <laughs> in my entire life that's immoral because they're my morals, <laughs> and I will just change them right before I do whatever oh, it no, is no, 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 if, no, I, no, if I've no. decided to do it. I mean, I'm sorry, those no, aren't
1: absolute. The the morality party that is the. The Family Value Coalition Association for Children Party.
3: The but don't worry, they're going to change the name next week. (laughs) 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 It'll be similar. They just take the words, throw them up in the air. (laughs) I'm convinced. I, I mean. Trying to come up with a list of hate groups that we could use (laughs) to tell candidates whose endorsement the caucus didn't want them to uh, accept was just hilarious. I'm like, okay, I already got that one on my list. I'm like, nope, there's two words swapped. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's like, okay, I'm sure I have this. Nope. Oh, and four is
1: like switched around.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And, And the people involved are all the same. It's just they're changing the names as rapidly as possible. So uh, in Indiana,
1: Indiana apparently likes fucking with the lives of trans kids. So Alan Belmont, who was named the prom king of North Carolina High School last year, is set to graduate. But there's one problem. The school's administration told them that the names that are read at graduation must be the names that are on their birth certificates. So Alan is not going to go to graduation, and neither is his friend, Seth Williams. So according to the school, the school says that they're welcome to have dialogue about this. They want to listen to the school's concerns. But the problem is that it's just their practice to use these names.
3: Of course it is. They wouldn't have a rule or law or anything else because they couldn't get passed these days. And and people, you know, I, I mean, the the interesting thing is it's North Carolina, right? Or no, that, it's Indiana. Indiana. Okay, that's worse, really. Uh, North, Carol- North Carolina has been beat up enough, they at least know to be sensitive about these things. They may go the wrong way, but they know that mm, this is going to hurt. You know, Texas sort of figured out the last uh, legislative session that, you know, even Dan Patrick understands 128 and zero as a score. <laughs> you know, he put 128 up, 128 got defeated. Oh, well.
1: <laughs> and that's 128 anti-queer,
3: anti-trans bills. Yes. And the Republicans control both houses of the mm-hmm, governor. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that they were defeated in that kind of an environment. It means they were ridiculous beyond belief. Yes, Yes. And, and so, you know, we found that out. Indiana is still sort of the Mike Penceville of the world. Yes, it and, is, unfortunately. And, and I, you know, it's an interesting state because it is heavily controlled by the farm people. Ah, well,
1: so I, 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 this new thing just recently happened and I want to tell you all about it. So, did you know now that coming out of the closet is a disorder?
3: No, that was before.
1: No, no, it, it, no. <laughs> it's it's coming out of the closet is now a disorder, according to evangelical anti-gay white nationalists and anti-trans sites. Coming out of coming out of the closet is now called rapid onset of gender dysphoria. Whoa. Yep. Uh, the
3: is, is that the one the Atlantic's going to run an article on?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> the idea of rapid onset of gender dysphoria popped up on an anti-trans site geared towards the parents who want to force their kids into being, trans, and into being cis. The idea is that since anti-trans parents learned about their kids' gender dysphoria by the kid coming out, the parent expe- and experiences the gender dysphoria as being rapid onset. It just happened. It just occurred to me, and, and,
3: and you know was aware of this, but this is like the actresses and actors who have been staple of the second type person. You know, always like right behind the star <laughs> for forty years, and then suddenly <laughs> overnight become. The star, and it's sort of like, yeah, for 40 years of work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, overnight sensations, right? Yes, exactly. 40 years in the making, yeah. That, that's the whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, the idea was given the thinnest veneer of legitimacy in 2007 by Dr. Lisa Littman, who showed a poster at a convention. The poster abstract was then published in the Journal of Adolescent Health. So, Littman's, let me go over Littman's research as, as it is. Okay, so Littman uh, only surveyed parents from three anti-trans websites. So, those sites are Fourth Wave Now, Transgender Trend, and Youth Trans Critical Professionals. And uh, she found, shockingly enough, that these parents felt like their kids suddenly became Trans. And therefore, that proves that their kids caught being trans from, you know, all the cool people on the internet.
3: So we're saying this is communicable disease yes. of the internet. So yeah, okay, no, oh, 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 <laughs> uh,
1: and never mind that she never discloses that she got this data from these anti-trans sites. She never says that in any of her <coughs> research um, and it's certainly not going to be discussed in the Atlantic article but um, you know we thought it would be interesting uh, you know I think that it's interesting that we make that information known.
3: Oh I think so too. I have a question mm-hmm. Spectrum South. Yes. I mean Megan, Gotten a free ride so far. She's Ah, quiet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so Spectrum South, do y'all check sources ever?
4: Do we check sources? And Uh what is
1: Spectrum South?
4: So Spectrum South is a Houston based online publication that's focused on queer Southern culture and identity. So it's SpectrumSouth.com and we launched in June of last year, Mm -hmm. um, just in time for Pride. So we're a little, what, seven months old now?
3: Um, and you're still publishing and we're still publishing <laughs> so
4: i guess it didn't completely crash and burn so that's good that's good
3: you know some last like oh two hours and uh-huh, life. Uh-huh. Some, do yeah. and some
4: don't even get off the ground yeah. you just have a coming soon page so we are lucky in that regard um we do we do fact check um huh. our, our sources uh, we have a multiple layered editing process Mm, Uh, mm -hmm. for our articles so uh, our writers will write something it will come to me and then we have another editor that will also go through so that's kind of a two-tier process which you don't always see in uh, digital publishing oh yeah well the trans
1: advocate has four editors well (laughs) if we we are
4: not as big as the trans advocate yet okay Maybe in years when we have years and years like you
1: guys. (laughs) But (laughs) But that's another thing. But The Atlantic, they have apparently one editor who knows nothing about this issue and went, yeah, that all sounds about right.
3: Well, am am I right that they think that... um, even if it's wrong, it's a good thing to oh start the, debate. the conversation. We,
1: we have to have right. the debate. Yes. And the debate is a euphemism for transgender existence. See, they want to debate our ability to exist, but, but they don't want to say that. They just want to have the debate. Yeah, but
3: I, I think we need to send them a letter and, and sort of say, we think a debate would be really good, so debate requires at least two sides. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we we would like to write the counter side and get paid the same amount. Oh
1: oh right. oh! oh. I, and did I tell you the person who is writing this Atlantic article is, uh, I think his name is Joey Sign- Single, something like that. Um, he is kind of famous. What he what he does his entire stick is, um, you know, concern trolling about transgender kids. He consistently misrepresents. Basically, all the facts about trans issues in adolescents and kids and adults, and the 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 alt right, the right wing, love him for it. Um, and you know, he is good. Um, he he really is a good writer, and he makes his bullshit um, look good. And if you have if if you happen to be a worried parent and you read his stuff, you're going to go, oh, oh, I didn't know that almost all trans kids just stop being trans. Huh. I didn't know that. It's just a phase. And so now the Atlantic is going to come out and say, coming out of the closet is a pathology that you catch from the internet.
3: You know... How did I get mine? Um, Let's see. Wait, <laughs> was, I, was I like patient it, zero or something? Okay,
1: okay, okay. It, it had to be at school. All the ki- cool kids were, you know, transing, as they say. Uh, right, okay. right? Right back in the 60s? No. No, no. It had to be that,
3: you <laughs> I, know. I mean, my problem is that none of this stuff that they claimed did, it was around in like, oh, 1955. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: and Uh, didn't you know that all this trans stuff started in the 90s
3: i mean we didn't didn't even have the word and and actually (laughs) i'm really feeling bad that someone didn't copyright it but (laughs) we control the use (laughs) you can use it for free but not in that way (laughs) it's sort of like when i do pictures you know i license them but only for positive uses and it's my determination of what's positive so
1: (laughs) how how does spectrum south uh cover controversial topics
4: so, Spectrum South is. I would say most of our content is more leaning toward like feature, mm-hmm. um, feature writing, more magazine style than it is uh, hard news. So, a lot of the things we talked about um, this morning with with the news that's going on, we would more take a deep dive into one person that's involved in like, mm-hmm. with, with that. Like, for example, the prom king, that one prom king,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, really covering it from his point of view rather than. Um, You know, strictly a policy Mm -hmm. um, view, and one of our main goals is really just to bring visibility to um, queer people in the South because we believe that by bringing visibility, you know, we build we build community that way, and um, even if it's a digital community.
1: So, uh, a conversation Mm -hmm. that generally all queer publications have is language. So, um, here in Houston, for the past. 20 years or so we've had something called queer voices you know on right. KPFT and uh you know before that there we had queer nation uh Q patrol queer patrol right. um you know so queer became this kind of catch-all term in the way that gay used to be you know right. we used to be all gay um, and then we were gay and lesbian, and then we were gay and lesbian and bi, and then we were gay and lesbian, bi and trans. Mm-hmm. And, and now we get uh, the, the right wing kind of making fun of us because we're now LGBTQ, LGBTQI, LGBTQIA, and I see don't, that you use.
3: LGBTQQIAA. Uh huh.
1: Yes. 2S. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and, and then, uh, you know, I hear people say, oh no, don't use queer. That is a slur against us. And you cannot use that word. So, um, yep. how do you deal with language on I, your side? I was
3: going to say, I was about to ask from your end, what is queer? Yeah. What do you mean by queer? For most of my life, it was a slur. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, some of the kids said, well, we like it. And I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. It's going to take me years to get over (laughs) the slur. (laughs) I have. It It took about two years. (laughs) But, but, you know, from Spectrum South, when you say it's a queer publication Mm -hmm. or whatever, what is that?
4: Right. So we did choose. We had a whole conversation about language, but when we Mm -hmm. were launching, um, both Kelsey and I come from an, I guess, LGBT media background. Mm -hmm. Um, But the real reason that we decided to launch Spectrum South was because we saw this kind of lack of representation for um, basically people who fall outside of the lesbian and gay binary. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, genderqueer folks, trans folks, queer people of color, younger queer people or LGBTQ people, whichever you want to use. And so when doing that, we wanted to make sure that we did represent anyone who felt that that space belonged to them, who felt like they were a community member. Um, So we chose queer, and our tagline is Spectrum South, the voice of the queer South. So to me, it is an umbrella term of anybody that... Uh, We talked about self-proclamation earlier. Mm -hmm. But um, for us, it's just, you know, if you identify as part of the lgbtqqiaa 2s plus (laughs) any other letter that you want community, we want you to know that you have a place at Spectrum South. And so we are not, um, you know, we're we're more than just your gay or lesbian It's almost like we need to
1: just say, like, queer is an easy way to say non-heteronormative. Exactly. That's it you know. Whatever non, is non-heteronormative. non-heteronormative. I,
3: I might actually start using queer if I have to use non-heteronormative. <laughs> <laughs> it's like giving something short. It's not going to work twice when you
4: say that. It's just so much easier. Yeah. I was having this conversation with a friend the other day, and I just said, we should just all be queer and sh- shut up. Uh-huh. Like, this is fine. Well, the
3: fact is that depending on how you take the word queer, mm-hmm. everyone is something there. I mean, it's sort of like the that's, argument that I that's make. That's true. That, right. you know, there's only two people in the world that aren't trans. Everybody else is somewhere on the spectrum. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and I don't know who they are, but theoretically you have an end point. on two end. Everything else is in the middle. <laughs> and, and other than that, you're just playing statistics. Well, you're 30% down, so I guess you can count, you know. <laughs> Plus,
1: queer works as, um, you know, a verb. You're queering gender.
4: You know, that that's kind of cool. Or you see things through a queer lens or Uh you live uh your life under a queer framework I mean Mm -hmm. there's there's different ways to use it and I think that it's just it's a good catch-all but there is as you said a generational difference because it was it has a history to Mm -hmm, it It mm -hmm. it has a more negative connotation to it um but I think that we we just chose to to use it as a catch-all because we want to make sure it was the most inclusive term mm-hmm. um, that we could think of, and also you see it more in you know academia, queer theory,
1: yeah. um, mm-hmm. and just
4: more and more it's it's entering re-entering the discourse.
1: I've noticed this in the millennial generation specifically, uh, very much gravitating towards queer and right. these kind of expansive identities that are not pigeonholed. Right um, Now, you know, you think about a second wave feminist context back in the 60s and 70s. It was really, really important to distinguish your experience and to stake it out because there was no, there wasn't a, there weren't terms for your experience. There, there wasn't a narrative. It just didn't exist. Right. And so to be able to say that I'm a lesbian separatist or that, um, you know, I'm a dyke, right. uh, was very, very important. Um, do you, the, the kind of content that you get, um, do you have problems with people saying, now, why are you erasing lesbians? Why are you erasing, um, you know, gay people? Why, why all this queer stuff?
4: We haven't had that much feedback on that. We have actually have had one of our writers write a piece on, I think it was titled, Where Did All the Lesbians Go? Mm. And it was on that exact subject because I know that some people within the community hold tight to that label, mm-hmm. um, and especially with the lesbian label of um, just identifying not only with the sexuality of lesbian, but really the, the proud um, mm-hmm. womanhood of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just as valid. I think that when we were using the term queer, when we chose the, the term queer to um, label Spectrum South, it was really just as a uh, inclusive term to make mm-hmm. sure everyone knew that they were welcome. But that includes people who strongly identify as a lesbian or a gay man or any of these, uh, these labels that, um, you know, have so much history behind them. And that's completely welcome, too. Mm-hmm. And we want mm-hmm. those opinions. We do a lot, in addition to reporting, we do a lot of first-person pieces and commentaries um, because some things should just be told in their voice versus having someone kind of re-report someone's experience. It should be firsthand. So we always want to make sure that we have that space um, for people to express those opinions. Have too. you
1: had people um, accuse you of being a postmodernist establishment? <laughs>
4: Not yet, but again, that'll happen. Yeah, it will happen. happen. Yeah, it will happen. Not yet, again. We are very new, but as as many years as you guys have, like I'm, I'm sure that that it's coming. It's coming.
3: We we could probably point a few people towards you. Yeah, no, (laughs) and it will happen.
1: We'll be like, (laughs) hey, Spectrum South is on, and we'll have links, and then you know you'll have turfs coming after Uh, you. You will have. All of those fantastic people and like wonderful God. letters that
3: say nothing. Cease
1: and desist. You must cease and desist right now.
3: Or else and you know the or elsees are like right, or
4: else we'll send, really send you, you another letter. letter. Does, does that does that mean we've made it? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Great. That's my thing. We got a letter. Look. Look. Is it a good no, it's a horrible no.
3: letter. That means All we're right.
4: good. Let's hang it on the wall. Okay. <laughs> I'll put put it on my refrigerator. (laughs) So
1: how does one become a writer of Spectrum South?
4: So we actually, we started off with, I think, eight writers when we Mm. launched. We now have 14. Um, A lot, we've got every Texas city covered. We've got one writer at least in those, multiple in Houston, obviously, since we're based here. And then we have um, a few based across the South, one in Florida, one in Tennessee, um, and then a few Kentucky. So we're, we're trying to spread across the South. but um, what,
3: No Alabama?
4: <laughs> no, I, we've covered Alabama, but we do not have a writer there yet. So if there's anybody listening from Alabama who is interested, please let me know. Um, but you can just email us directly at info at com, mm-hmm. and we're happy to have a conversation with you. Go over what your interests are, what you want to write, your clips and things like that. And um, we're looking for regular contributors, but also guest contributors. I know a lot of people um, cannot fit you know, some kind of regular contribution to their schedule, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. We always mm-hmm. like guest people.
1: Um, and so, this has been uh, um, a big topic within queer writers' circles: um, remuneration. <laughs> how do how how do you go about uh, working with your writers to uh, recognize their work or compensate uh, for their time? You know, probably every queer, every queer publication has to deal with this in some fashion, whether that's by by, uh, you know doing special things for writers or uh, doing special recognition or something. Uh, But uh, I, I think that this really became an issue in the Huffington Post era where you get paid in thanks. You can take their thanks and you could go buy milk with their thanks and, um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, And I know with the trans advocate for years and years and years, it was absolutely just a labor of love, meaning, you know, people did what they could when they could. Um, And it's only very recently that we've been able to modestly – Compensate people for their efforts. Um, how are you working with that?
4: So, we do modestly compensate mm-hmm. our writers. Um, we do, it's based on word count, mm-hmm. and um, we do have a freelance writer pay scale. So, it is not, you know, big time New York Times pays, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, as a journalist myself, you know, I just, I've, we very much value our writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, Skills that they have, and this is their art, you know. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. we want to do what we can for that. And thanks, and you know, won't pay the bills, and we know that. And right. honestly, neither will we. But um, we we can help out in that way. We also will connect writers to anybody else in our network that can help them out. If it's um, more writing, or a lot of our writers are have secondary jobs or, mm-hmm. or artists mm-hmm. themselves in other capacities. Um, so in addition to paying them anybody that we have access to that can help them out we want to connect them to those people so
1: mm-hmm. yeah there, there there's, there's so many uh, kind of boutique I, I don't know if I want to call it a boutique kind of or niche uh, publications in the queer community the trans advocate being one of them um, that have amazing writers right. very talented writers um, mm-hmm. some of the pieces that come out Um, some of the investigative work that comes out in these queer publications are amazing Uh, some of the insights and uh, just kind of this is the pulse of the community where I'm at pieces are just fantastic Um, and in a world where you know I, I mean everything is being driven by social media right Right. now that's that's kind of somehow social media has become the source through which the filter through which all media is consumed now and it's not cable it's not television it's not radio it's social media and that is competing with every other sensationalistic bullshit and meme (laughs) That people are consuming and would, frankly, rather consume than uh, some sort of fact-based, community-based, real-world um, publication or uh, article in, within your organization. Have y'all talked about that? And what are your thoughts about that?
4: Yes, we have. So about 70% of our traffic comes from social media, Mm -hmm. um, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's reflective of what you just said. Um, And... I think that the sustainability of that is what is kind of scary, um, especially with Facebook changing their algorithm Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, They just mostly recently changed it to really try to squash small businesses. Yes, uh um, where you now have to have a budget to kind of you know pay to play type thing. Exactly. So we've already seen a small dip in our analytics from that um, because you know small. Even though you may be getting some of the best news from somewhere like the transaction, I I,
1: I want to pause uh, you right there uh, because you're talking about analytics. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the thing. For these little groups, I don't think that people understand how much that goes into having these platforms for these communities. You've got behind the scenes, not only do you have a web designer and then editors and stuff, and then you've got people working with Google, uh, search engine optimization, plus social media engagement and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's it's far more than just writers producing their work. Oh,
4: absolutely. How no, do it, you do it? It is. Uh, we don't sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but, but other than that, I other, mean, you know, we, we've that, all done that forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> other than that, um, <laughs> that's not the new part. So, I mean, I, I manage our Google Analytics, so I mm-hmm. keep I keep a good um, eye on that. We have one of we have just such great people behind this project, mm-hmm. honestly. But we have a social media advisor who um, just basically ma- manages all of our analytics on our social platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
4: from that, we have. I do most of the back end of our website stuff. I have a little bit of web development background, but we have a web developer who, like, if the whole site crashes and I can't fix it, <laughs> that's who we go to. Um, so, no, We
1: have a couple of Yes, of. <laughs> there are,
4: you know, when it's beyond the the quick code fix, uh, we call uh-huh. her, and she's she's great. She's a queer woman based out of Austin. But, um, yeah, it's just, there's so many moving parts to it, and mm-hmm. but there's only so much you can control, and yep. that's where I go back to things like, The algorithm where, you know, if you just don't have a budget because you're a small community organization, um, it doesn't matter how good the content is that you're producing. It really, Mm -hmm. um, sustainability is always a question.
3: One of the problems, I think, with social media that we've seen graphically in the not terribly distant past and still happening, that is that the media itself and the content frequently come from the same place. They are frequently heavily managed, and they right. can be heavily managed even if people claim they aren't. I mean, that's how the Russians got into their thing. Right. It was mm-hmm. very simple. It was very obvious. In fact, Putting together a website for a political group here in town, suddenly we started getting lots of sign-ups. We, we hadn't done anything to secure it because there's nothing on it. I mean, right. lit- <laughs> literally <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been up for like two hours, and suddenly I'm getting all sorts of sign up. All the IPs trace back to Russia. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... And it was like, I guess I have to secure it first. And then I decided I'd just put $1,000 of sign up on it and let them do all they wanted. And <laughs> right. suddenly they stopped signing up. <laughs> you know? But, but you know, it's stuff like that that just happens out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I went, I looked, someone had posted the IP on Facebook that they found some way or other. So they told wow. the IP and then just stuck it out on Facebook. And all of a sudden, here you go. Uh, the real problem that I have is that the people who are consuming a lot of the social media information do not have good filtering skills. No. No, they don't. You know, I I mean, if if you have done a lot of library research and you've done a lot of other type research and Mm -hmm. you've done a lot of reading, your filtering skills are drastically better. There have been several studies on that. The problem is the people who are consuming most of it haven't done those that's things. not the majority of people. And, right? and they just accept anything that they see multiple times. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes like two seconds to produce millions of multiple times. That's where the problem comes in with it. And, and filtering quality versus quantity is something that the current social media groups don't do as far mm-hmm. as consumers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's very worrisome because you get things like the aberration that we had in the most recent election that we're still every single day having to, to put up with the discussion about, et cetera. And no one's doing anything because I think they have no clue what to do. Yeah.
1: Um, and as a millennial, yes. um, I come out. So back whenever I was doing media for our community back in the 90s, that looked like flyers and newsletters that we would mail out. Um and that was really I thought I thought that that was really time intensive and really hard work and stuffing envelopes and oh my God, taking it down to the post office <laughs> and dropping it in the mail. Oh my gosh. And now you know, whenever, online media started happening and we could have a website i remember thinking oh this is great we're going to be able to get our information out to everyone the propagation of you know various yahoo groups and those kinds of things and i thought oh this is great and what i find is nowadays to get the same information out i have to do 10 times more work and um
3: you know I don't know that that's, I mean, and theoretically you reach more people, but you really don't know whether you reach them or not. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'm frequently on the phone just clicking through things to see if anything catches my eye. They each get a half a second and if Uh it doesn't catch my eye, yes, I quote, opened it. Trust <laughs> <laughs> me. Other right. than two words, the, nothing is like read. Say,
4: yeah, you made an impression. That's one impression. But mm-hmm. does that actually resonate with you? You you don't really know. And and I think what uh Kristen was saying is that the accessibility, theoretically, the accessibility is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and like our, our site is free, so mm-hmm. and we wanted that. We wanted that yes. accessibility for the community, but. If social media is 70% of our traffic and nobody really goes to CNN.com or, um, you mm-hmm. know, just straight up the, the URL in the browser, um, you know, how, how do you make sure that you reach those people? And I think that that's a big part of that has been building our email list, which essentially mm-hmm. would be your, your mailing list of when mm-hmm. you are going mm-hmm. to the post office and mailing all those things. Now, yes, you can open an email and maybe not click on anything, but, um, I think that that's a more genuine um, way of building that because you always have that contact information, you always have that network, so nobody can change that. The you know Facebook can't change their algorithm, and suddenly you've lost half your base. So that's really important to us: is to build our email list and to make sure that we're communicating with the right people and getting that information. In order
1: to drive traffic, you can post cat memes uh, that are vaguely queer sort of maybe it's a rainbow cat and um, you know you can do that kind of stuff Um, quality
4: journalism yeah
3: quality journalism I've always thought the cat memes were right up there with robocalls (laughs) (laughs) It's like, here, I'll do one of these because I have nothing to say. (laughs) Well, you
1: know, like, Mm -hmm. for instance, we had this great piece, uh, and I thought it was just an amazing investigative piece. We had a writer who uh, is from Russia, lives in Russia, and they were describing um, how the Russian government deals with transness and specifically institutionalizing trans people and what their experience is once they are institutionalized. Yeah. And what does trans advocacy even mean in that type of culture? And it was a fantastic piece. But what people want are cat memes. Right. <laughs>
4: they they want click, clickbaity headlines. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The twelve mm. things they're going to make you
3: awesome.
4: People love lists. It's <laughs> love lists. I don't know why. Why? Okay, I,
3: I can't like I like lists.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I know. List I do too. I the find myself Trump on does time. too. You know? Yes, I find myself clicking on them, and yeah. then you smack and I'll be like, no, no, oh you clicked on it. Now <laughs> yeah. we're stuck for the next thirty minutes. We're playing into it. We're sitting here saying, Why? Why are people not clicking on this quality mm-hmm, journalism?
3: Y- you know something else that worries me. Mm. You know, Kristen was talking about the newsletters, et cetera. The Trans Archives has lots and lots of newsletters. Tons of them. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting as we're cataloging things going through, and you just see things that that tell you a lot about the culture at the time. It's people you either know or have known. And there's just a lot of history that that is very real, very first person, because this is what was happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, The list of the people that were parts of groups that are still being kept secret cuz we will not publish those because mm-hmm. those people are not necessarily out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and so there's just all of this sort of thing. Where's that from the internet? It's instant there, instant gone. And everyone says, "Well, yeah, it never goes away, but can you
4: find it?" No. Right now.
1: If it's not saved on archive.org and a lot of times it's not.
3: And even if it is, go find it. I mean, actually mm-hmm. find something that you saw. It, it just and what
1: will happen is even with the archive.org stuff, they'll have the text saved, but the images, the stuff that you that's genuinely important is gone.
3: Exactly. And, and yes, you can sort of catalog it, but it's a universal every word type catalog usually, mm-hmm, not a to- mm-hmm. topic or subject. That's the part that really concerns me because in 20 years there's nothing there's not going yeah. to be anything you can find there. And part of it's volume. you know, for instance, I have uh, 21 terabytes of photographs mm-hmm. in in right. my photograph library. Half of them are cataloged. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me for something in the other half. <laughs> you know, right? It, it's like how many photographs can you look at in a minute or two? You know, and, and how long does that take? Because there's huge numbers, right. and and a lot of them are somewhat old some of them are scanned in some of them are negatives that would have to be made positive <laughs> that are scanned in but but it you know because i keep thinking about that kind of stuff when we're looking at things in fact i've sort of started archiving interesting things that i see and we do have archives of the trans advocate but that's a really little tiny piece of all mm-hmm. the the stuff that happens on the internet
4: right
1: and that's another thing about internet culture as opposed to the way that it was in the 90s I, like for instance i had a bookshelf where all of my newsletters and little booklets and everything resided right. and sometimes i would think about something and then go look through them and you know physically pick it up but the internet and especially social media driven internet is so immediate that you know it's here it'll be here today and it's gone it's like the collective memory of Whatever that piece was, right. whatever impact that had, it's gone.
3: And, you know, I think Facebook, with their constant change of algorithm, constant change of how they display things, almost started that, that idea. Because on Facebook, it's really difficult to go back and find something that you read 10 minutes ago, let mm-hmm. alone six weeks yeah. ago
4: yet Facebook pulls old photos that you don't want to see from 10 years ago Uh and reminds you of them yes
3: you know and and, well but they pop up and you a lot of times you don't even know where right I mean Mm -hmm. every now and then I see one I'm like I don't even know this person (laughs) (laughs) you've been friends with them for 15 years yeah and and I go digging through and it's someone that when You know, I first started on Facebook, (laughs) sent me a game thing, and I didn't know to say no. (laughs) You know, know, it was like I would have knew enough to say, oh, sure, somebody wants to be my friend. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) They want to infect you with their approach. (laughs) But
4: but you're right. It's it's very hard to go back and find things, and I find myself doing that, where I'll, I'll scroll by an article that looks interesting, and then I'll want to scroll right back up. And I can't find it, and then, then I don't know who posted it, so I can't even go to their wall to see it, and then it's gone. I, I will and, never and, have that knowledge. And you wasted
3: a big chunk of time and didn't get what you were looking for. That, that's but what's the right. the important is that you're at that. Side.
1: It's interesting how we went from physical media to, at least my experience was AOL, and I thought AOL was the internet. I thought mm-hmm. that like AOL invented the internet, and everything was there. And if you were trans. He went to this place called the gazebo to chat and that's you know that so, was so,
3: so you missed gopher and y- yes yes all, 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 <laughs> yes
1: and and so um it seems like what facebook is trying to do is kind of recreate that so that all the articles are within the context of their platform that all the activity that happens on the internet that's important to you happens within their con the context of their platform and but when it,
3: but they're also going with new content only mm-hmm. Right. i mean new content is their big thing they don't do anything that says okay here's the stuff that ties into it the encyclopedia back behind it and if you, right. If right. If no you think about it if if you you know up the volume of new content if you constantly have to have 55 million new content items a day the quality just goes down there's yeah. no way around it because there just aren't that many people who have good new content and well, and and then you get of course into the well I don't have any good content. Let's figure out what to make up today.
4: Right. I almost think of that in media in general, though, because mm-hmm. we've completely switched onto this 24-7 news cycle. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's so ridiculous. You, you see the same thing. I mean, you see ridiculous content where you think, is mm-hmm. someone's suit color really news? But they have to fill well, and, the time.
3: And, you know, like I watch MSNBC quite a bit. Well, the question is, do I want to hear the story the way rachel tells it the the, the way yes exactly you know i mean who do i want to hear tell the story because they only have one story maybe three they have three slots Mm -hmm. usually but but it's like which of the people do you want to hear you know discuss it but i think that
1: what you just said megan about context i mean that's that's what the trans advocate thrives on that's what we're about is context uh, you want to know about trans issues. You want to know about trans news or whatever. This is the context, and social media is not about context. It's about immediacy and small information bites that elicit some sort of a response. That's what it is. And so, for um, queer media, that's surviving partially on our ability to utilize uh These platforms, these social media platforms, it's almost as if not only do you have to have one foot in uh, like real journalism and context and be thoughtful and all of that, but you also have to have one foot in like mindless stupidity of immediacy of uh, images that grab people of headlines that grab people and hooks and you know all of this kind of stuff to drive people to your site so that they can um experience the art of the people that you are you know supporting
4: right it's a very delicate balance it's very hard to find both because do you want to like you said images images are one thing hopefully Mm -hmm. you can maybe find intriguing images but Headline writing, I've found especially hard. <laughs> um, yeah. Why? You,
3: you just throw something up there. Know, it doesn't it just, have to do anything. It not have to have anything to do with the article. What
4: are, what are the Kardashians doing this week? Oh, it's about trans rights in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> like. Oh, yeah,
3: and, and the worst part is, like the Houston Chronicle does that day in day out. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you see something at the top, and it's like, okay, so it did use one of the words in the headlines in the article. It didn't it was totally deep, mislead but me. it was a word anyway. Right. <laughs> so uh,
4: we we're still trying to figure that out. Um, we've kind of been experimenting with headlines, but we just it, it hurts my soul to write <laughs> terrible headlines just for clicks. But you know, like you need you need those numbers, and we need those numbers for advertisers to pay our writers. Mm-hmm. And everything mm-hmm. else, it's
1: a vicious cycle. So, so yeah, interestingly, we haven't been, we have tried, we have not done the advertisement thing. I mean, yeah. we have in the past, <laughs> but we immediately ran into a problem because all our content says stuff like transgender, transsexual, right. uh, sex, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. We were getting a certain type of ad, you know, and you don't want to go to the trans advocate to read about this policy issue and see boner pills. I mean, you don't, you don't. And so but you don't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. exactly. (laughs) Because they're paying. And so, you know, that's that's a whole different. You're you. You are covering the south part of America. You're not. It's not one town. Right. You know, when we were writing newsletters for uh, Texas Association for Transsexual Support or the various GCTC groups and things. Um, we all we had to do is focus on Houston, <laughs> you know, the Houston area. Mm-hmm. What's going on in they, Texas? They perhaps co-
3: they covered Galveston.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I,
3: exactly. I, I saw Galveston all over the place.
1: <laughs> and so we have, you know, so at the trans advocate, we have to consider. Like I said, we were considering news from. Russia, right. you know, what, it, what does trans advocacy look like in Russia? And what does trans advocacy look like? I've written about what does it look like in the South? Well, and,
3: we, we have Trans Advocate Brazil. I can't even yes. read the Portuguese. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have Trans Advocate Brazil. <laughs> we, we, we hope it says
1: good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, again, the Russia thing. Uh, some people really, really loved that piece. Uh, some people didn't give a shit about that piece. Well, right. well,
3: you know, I mean, there there is a magazine that's done that fairly well, which is Southern Living, and basically mm-hmm. they use pumpkin spice in the fall, <laughs> <laughs> apple pie spice in the spring, and, and, and you know, a couple quilting cool projects always go in. So uh,
4: we're going to do a list of 10 queer spump- pumpkin spice yeah, lattes. There, there we go. But
3: it's sad, but <laughs> if
1: it, you
4: did going that, it's viral. That would probably- <laughs> yeah
1: you
3: know, I, I I mean it it's funny because I know one of the editors and she's like there's this set of stuff and then there's the articles in between but the set of stuff is set for every month no of the kidding. year and it does we, not change
1: it's the staples yeah yeah no kidding maybe that's what we need to do we need to get somebody that like knows like inane lists of you know the the top ten you know bullshit drinks of the season. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, I mean, we could probably sell the right to write the list. <laughs> people love yeah. to be the person yeah. on the list. I've noticed and, that. And,
1: and we'll, you know, that that'll pull in, you know, millions of people. And we'll set, we'll have ads on. There'll be boner wait, pills wait, wait, all over the wait. place. <laughs> and, and that yeah, no, will we're, fund we're, the Russia
4: investigation. of
3: people. Should I skip our next server
4: side and just go away on? <laughs> It's really not a bad idea.
3: <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the other thing that I'm suddenly running through my head, too, is that, you know, when, when those ads don't serve up fast, so you're sitting there waiting for the article, oh, it's like, I hate oh, that's that. my kiss of death. Oh. But
1: you know what? It, it's interesting as we're talking, whenever I, 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 you know, we're laughing about inappropriate ads and whatever. But this this very issue is not new to queer media. I remember looking at some of the magazines that we have (laughs) that funded trans groups and trans uh, advocacy and phone lines and meeting spaces and, you know, you would turn the page and there's amazing trans news and then there's pornography and then there's, you know, like stupid ads about whatever. And then amazing news, and this group is meeting, and that group
3: meeting, and here's a boner. And, We're you know. Tapestry early on, that we sort of had that discussion. Ah. Uh-huh. And the fact was that you can have all the discussion you want if you need money, you need advertising, that's where it is. And right. you just hope that people understand that there's editorial content, and there's non-editorial <laughs> content. Right. right. So... Is there a particular
1: story that um you are most proud of? Um do you do you do you also write? I do and, also write. Okay. So, do you have a piece that's on Spectrum South that you're most proud of? Do you have uh, a specific um uh, maybe article or media piece that was produced for your site that you that you didn't write but that is also something you're very proud of?
4: So, probably two things mm-hmm. and they both have stories behind them but one was more of a series that i was mm. very proud of um when we launched spectrum south back in june with those original writers um we had each one of them write a personal narrative of what um their queer and southern identities meant to them i left it we left it very broad um, mm-hmm. just some people wrote about very specific instances that they felt described their identity and then others wrote You know, typical coming out story, and then others wrote more honestly avant garde pieces that they felt expressed themselves, you know, most um, accurately. And so, to me, those were so important because they built transparency of who you were going to be hearing from Mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Um, And even though our writers come from a variety of backgrounds, and you know, we have we have a writer who's a trans man of color, but And my experience as a white, you know, queer woman is not the same as his, Mm -hmm. but I could understand things that he went through with his family. Mm -hmm. And we have one that is a queer mom of two. Mm. Well, I don't have children, but things about just being a woman and working hard in that struggle I could identify with. So I think that that was really our motivation behind that series was not only to build transparency of who you're hearing from, Mm -hmm. but also to understand that we can connect with one another regardless of you know our identity within the queer community so i really liked that series and then um the second piece was actually um just one of these weird full circle things um because in november we sponsored the trans unity banquet i don't know that you know this story um but one of our writers um josh Watkins, attended the trans unity banquet sat at the spectrum south table and heard phyllis fry speak and make her speech and it's one of those things that you can have completely different experiences sitting at the same table. So, um, I was sitting there and I mean, it was a wonderful turnout. I had been to the banquet before, loved it. Um, and he was sitting there across the table in in silence and had no idea he was thinking this, but he was so inspired by her speech to get politically involved that, um, he went out without telling anybody and found a congressional campaign and started working on it. Um, (laughs) And didn't, d- yeah, didn't tell us um, until after he had accepted the fellowship. He was offered a fellowship, um, accepted it, didn't tell anyone, didn't try to get a lot of, you know, recommendations from us or use a network, just started working on it out of his own accord So it's one of those things that the sponsorship led to one of our writers being inspired to him getting politically active. Wow. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a very inspiring thing. And then he wrote a piece. Um, it all wraps back into he wrote a piece. Um, trying to get other young queer people involved in politics and telling that whole story. So I was very touched by that piece <laughs> that he had that experience. Well, amazing, and, and, and there,
3: there's two people running for office currently who are on the ballot who got the same thing at the same banquet. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, that's incredible.
3: <laughs> and, and and it's funny, uh, Dylan in particular, Dylan Forbes, said he left and couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. He thought about running and all that, and then uh, you know he said every time he stopped thinking about anything else he's thinking about <laughs> I need to run what Phyllis said yeah know, and, and you know he's running we hope he gets through the primaries and we and hope he, we he hope was goes goes endorsed you. by the caucus yep
4: yes I saw him there I've seen him all over the place he's he's running like crazy so yep. good <laughs> yeah, and and
3: and you know i was gonna say and, and this year the caucus isn't just automatically endorsing LGBT people which, right. You, that's right um is we, we're taking some heat for certain things but it's sort of like you know what we didn't have to give anyone in the LGBT community anything special because we had candidates that were plenty good and good mm-hmm. enough that mm-hmm. they held their own in everything we did. And it's like, you know.
4: It's not a bad problem to have it, with a, a, really a bunch good of good problem. candidates.
3: So Exactly. But, uh, but no, but at the banquet there was one other person who's not out but is definite, I mean. <laughs> You know, it's it's like one of those things. The only people that don't know are the ones that haven't met them. <laughs> you know? But right. it's like, fine, if you don't want to be officially out, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to out you. <laughs> you know? That's fine. But, well, uh, that's
4: a wonderful experience. And I mean, people went, in my experience, I went to the banquet to support the trans community and to, yeah. to be... In that you know but, space of community, but I never really thought that I would get any kind of political motivation from it and then across <laughs> from the table from me, someone is having that experience, and it was his first time at mm-hmm. the banquet and mm. so it was just it was wonderful to see
3: yeah and and, and you know this this particular banquet was interesting because. It in no way went as planned. Yeah. <laughs> but it went a lot better than was planned. Right. Uh-huh. So that's okay.
1: Yeah, everyone perceived it as, wow, this was so meticulous. It went off without a hitch. The, the speakers, how
3: did you get those and view speakers? the worst banquet in the world. Everything went wrong the entire night and leading up to it. Oh, my God. I mean, think about having 17 speakers who confirmed, who were all there, you were working with, who then had to cancel. Mm -hmm. 17. We were only going to have three speakers for the (gasps) banquet. We went through 17 speakers. Now, one of them was because, one of the reasons was that we had to move the banquet because of Harvey. So that was, you know, that was a different problem. But we went through 17 people who had confirmed to speak and then had to cancel. And it was, you know, it got to be, of course you're canceling. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to start laughing. Yeah, totally. And, And then, you know, we had... Uh people we didn't know were going to be there to speak that spoke. Mm-hmm. hmm
1: uh, well, yeah. Like uh the president of now?
3: Yeah, that person. <laughs> <laughs> Who Poppy just sort of said, "Oh, we're, we're going to make a stop before we yeah. do the others. You're,
1: you're coming with me and get she, up there.
3: Speak. She didn't know she was coming to the banquet when she arrived in Houston.
4: Oh my God! And
3: if you know Poppy, you sort of understand that's the way your life is if you do things with Poppy. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we're
4: making a stop. Here's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah.
3: uh, I know I didn't ask you, so <laughs> yeah.
4: well as an attendee, it was I had no idea. It was a wonderful yeah. banquet. Well, so." Okay, so what are your plans for... Oh, so wait, wait,
3: wait, wait. Yeah. Who's Josh working with?
4: Laura. Okay. Which, just, but just... Laura. Laura, 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 Laura I'm sorry, what? Laura Moser for Congressional District 7. Ah, mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, that's not an endorsement. That's just okay. a statement of fact.
3: I mean, I'm sorry if somebody picked up something that really inspired them at the Unity Banquet. I'm going all the way with uh, yeah. it. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. And, and the funny thing is, he did not tell... Uh, my, my girlfriend works for Laura Moser, so, mm-hmm. but he... Uh, oh, really? Guys, yes! that, such a surprise. Uh, did you know? She was on last week. You can check out her podcast. Um <laughs> But no, Josh did not tell Allie nor I that uh, he was... Going for the scholarship, and I could see
3: that because I do know Josh.
4: Yeah, he he didn't want the help, and that I admired him even more for that. Honestly, because he could have very easily picked up the phone and called her and said, "I would love to work for this campaign," but he didn't. He went through the whole fellowship interview process by himself, and I admire him for that. Wow! So,
1: So looking forward on for Spectrum South, what do you have any plans? Anything on the horizon uh, that you would like to see? Any hopes? Um, of where you would like to see it go?
4: Sure. Um, So right now our main goal is to, we've really got a huge Houston readership. If Mm -hmm. you look at our our readership, it's mostly Houston. And then from there, Austin, Dallas, kind Mm -hmm. of your big Mm -hmm. Texas cities. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to really expand that reach um, throughout the South and and live up to our mission of Southern culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, we have a few writers here and there, Kentucky, Tennessee, um, Florida, but really getting a better stronghold there and producing more content, like you said, that um, resonates with everyone in the South, not just Houston-based things. Um, and it's easy to get stuck in that when you're here because mm-hmm. there's so many good things going on in our community. Um, but that's our, our plan for the next you know, year or so. Year, and by that, I mean hopefully more and more. <laughs> um, but that, for readership, that's our goal. And then we're also starting um, quarterly events this year. Oh, cool. So, right, we had our launch party in September, Mm -hmm. and I will be honest, we really hoped for if we got 75 people in that room, we were going to be so, so happy, and we had over 250 oh fantastic so it was wonderful we did not buy no. enough food so next time <laughs> we will know. it wasn't that
3: fantastic there were too many people but that's there the were there were <laughs> we,
4: we didn't I know sorry Alexis, <laughs> there, was, there was we had no idea I mean it was yeah. it was a good again a good problem to have but it exactly. did make for a tight party um, this time we know and we also know to buy more food. But um, <laughs> go, going into 2018, we want to do quarterly events mm-hmm. um, so we can have that face-to-face interaction with the community. Right now, obviously, that's in Houston, um, where we have access to. But they will be events around our editorial calendar. So we have, every month, we have several themes that we curate most of our editorial to. Mm-hmm. And we always have evergreen pieces. Um, but we will be having our first one coming up in March. And March is Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. Um, So we are having an event called V de Femme on March 29th. It's a Thursday night. It's going to be 7 to 10 p.m. But instead, it's kind of a queer twist on Women's Mm -hmm. History Month. So we are doing a celebration of femme identity across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be having different performers. It's an interactive event. We'll have food and drinks. But as we know, we have enough events in the community that stand around with a drink and look at each other. Um, (laughs) So we we want interactive things uh, with our launch party we partnered with the truth project mm. um which is a local um lgbtq group that supports lgbtq people of color um our at the unity banquet oh yes yes he he did kevin is great and he has the best mc voice yes. ever <laughs> yes he does um he's been wonderful he's been such a good partner with everything we do but um that really made our launch party was the truth project performances so while we're not partnering with them for this event we will have um spoken word performances um burlesque and then mm-hmm. we will have uh two musicians as well perform so we've got um let's see Dee waters is going to do spoken word um we have stew of bling street um it's a local uh musical group here mm-hmm. um, mars capone who is burlesque of a troupe called dem damn dames mm. and uh marina roas who was a pride superstar competitor um and then we have tbl k garner who is a um mm. self-identified fat femme mm-hmm. uh, spoken word poet so we've got all of those people confirmed um so we'll have those performances throughout the evening and it's free and open to the public and we will also be uh taking voluntary donations for the beneficiary which is uh save our sisters united and
1: what is save our sisters
4: so save our sisters united is a um, trans empowerment group Mm -hmm. specifically run by trans women of color Mm -hmm. um, here in houston and it's started by uh, atlantis Narcisse, and uh, they will be um at the event, and like I said, we'll be collecting voluntary donations for their group throughout Mm -hmm. the evening.
1: Cool. Okay, can you repeat? What day... What time? <laughs> and where. And, and where?
4: where. Oh, I I forgot the where, didn't I? I was <laughs> waiting for the where. <laughs> so and, it's, it it'll be in Houston somewhere. somewhere <laughs> find us. It's a yeah, secret. It's, secret it's a new part of the
3: game. <laughs> this is how we keep the number of
4: people down. <laughs> right. we, can, we can't have 250 people. No, if we do, that's wonderful. Um, it is March 29th. It's a Thursday mm-hmm. night, 7 to 10 p.m., and it's at the ShareSpace Space. Warehouse on Preston Street in downtown. It's actually where our launch party was. So, again, hopefully, not 250 people. Um, so, in
1: other words, you don't want people to show up. We
4: do. Please come. <laughs> if, if, if we can make it 300, let's just do it. We'll open the doors and spill out into the street. They won't mind at all. Yeah, yeah, at least
3: the weather in March is a little bit It's yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, September
4: yeah. was pretty hot. We also have a better handle on the AC issue there, so hopefully it'll be cooler, too. Um, but we're very excited about it, and we're excited about the lineup of performers and, of course, our beneficiary.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so... Any other housekeeping or anything else that we need to cover? Really straightforward. Vote if you haven't. Vote. <laughs> there is no reason not to vote. And, and, and this,
3: and this year you, you get to vote three times. Almost and, certainly. Because yep, you're going to vote runoff. in the primaries, then you're going to vote in the runoffs, and then the biggie comes up with voting in the actual election.
1: And I will do my uh, weekly rant about voting. You know, last election, uh, A lot of people were just too edgy to vote they were just too you know apathetic or whatever they're lesser of two evils people and the result of that is that our kids going to school have no protections so um you know and they can't vote they can't act to protect themselves they have to rely on us our community to do it for them and it's worth just getting up off your ass going and voting, voting for uh, people who will act to protect our kids. That's not too much to ask. Just do that. Um, You know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and I remember what it was like to be uh, a queer kid in public schools, and it was awful. And the idea that you would sit by and allow that type of an environment to return to school and have an administration declare open season on our queer kids that you would endorse that with your non-action it's just you know there's there's no excuse for it getting out and voting is not a big deal i voted today it took me all of 10 minutes you can afford 10 minutes to invest and, 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 in
3: your kids and were the people that you met there nice i mean
1: Oh, they were horrible. I had no. <laughs> They were awesome. They were absolutely awesome. It was a great experience. I had no issues. Uh, okay, it was raining really hard. <laughs> I had to swim to the poles, but uh, aside from that, um, it was a great experience. You know, I I want to do my part to make the world at least a little bit safer for the queer kids that are coming up Um, and and I really want to urge you to do the same they're worth it that's my rant.
3: Well, the, the nice thing is that the numbers look like people are voting. Yes. I was yes, worried the numbers would come in and we'd see West Gray having a total of maybe 150 people. And it would be like, okay, no. okay no. Let, let's just figure out no, which country we're moving to. Hundreds and hundreds of it's people. It's time to go. Time to I'm going to move now. south, so we'll have to find something <laughs> small.
1: <laughs> no, this is this, a, a very, very good news. I mean, so the uh, on the West Gray, just FYI, there was 495 Votes cast for the Democratic primary, and 222 in the Republican. Um, and just FYI, the caucus did en- endorse re- Republican candidates.
3: We ha- we have Mary Miller, who is actually a great candidate, running against Ted Cruz.
4: Okay.
3: Yep. She, <laughs> she's one of these people that's weird enough. She's going to cause him some problems. <laughs> yeah, you know, The other people are like Cruz-like Anyone people.
1: who <laughs> well, can <come> on, <laughs> cause
3: Cruz some
1: problems, they're good in my book.
3: And her biggest thing is, she's like, you know, you after talking, you're probably going to ask why I'm the Republican still. And she's like, I'll just be damned if they're going to run me out of my party. <laughs> <laughs> good for her. Yeah, you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, we're good with you. We're good with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, hey, folks, thank you for tuning in to another Trans Advocate podcast. We'll catch you next week, and we'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: (laughs) Thanks for listening to another edition of the Trans Advocate podcast. Before you go, we want to make sure you know about a couple of our programs that might help you or someone you know. If you're trans, intersex, or genderqueer and are a victim of a disaster, we can help with our Trans Disaster Relief Fund And if you're going to college, university, or trade school, you can apply for one of our scholarships. Located in Houston, Texas, we hold weekly support group meetings and run the only community-owned transgender archive that's open to the public. Also, please keep in mind that our 2018 Houston Transgender Unity Banquet will be held Saturday, September 15, 2018. If you'd like to learn more about any of this, just go to transadvocate.com. We are a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your support makes what we do possible. Resistance means nothing without supporting elected officials who won't attack trans, intersex, and queer children in our schools. They can't vote, so you're going to have to do it for them. If you live in the U.S. and are not registered to vote, we can help you with that at our site. Register and vote, no matter what.
3: The Trans Advocate podcast was produced by Kristen Williams. All rights reserved. q and a narration was provided by Tiana Hansen. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the trans advocate or the Transgender Foundation of America. Okay, so I think I'm going to start recording. You okay? <coughs> Good start, right? Yeah. There. Bam! <laughs> blow
1: it out. Oh, what did I do?
3: I don't know what you said, but it wasn't spectrum. Was it exactly. selectum or something? It was like a two. Oh, okay, spectrum. all right. So
1: let me let me go through that again. The
3: nice thing about editing is yeah, know, the it, there's ex- editing. <laughs> Give me your pen. Ah.
1: <laughs> oh <no>. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Just so you know, I had my pen confiscated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no like more tea. clicking.
0: Peaks. Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Kristen <laughs> <laughs> <just a cleaner laughs> pen. I was trying to just keep it going. <laughs>